There's mummies and dummies and ghosts that bark. There's goblins and ghoulies that wait in the dark. If you wish to wet your pants with fright, listen to Gaxi on Goosebumps tonight. I'm gonna come. Boo, my dudes, and welcome back to Gatsy on Goosebumps, the only show in which I read and review every single one of R.L. Stein's Goosebumps books, but I am not doing that today because it is Pride Month, or at least it will be by the time you listen to this episode. And I thought, you know, I could just change the slime in the logo to rainbow colored and call it a day, but I wanted to go one step further. So I reached out to one of my very, very favorite podcasts to have a chat with them today. So please join me in welcoming Alyssa and Andy from Say Podcast and Die. How are you? Doing good. Yeah. Thank thank you. Thank you for having us. No, thank you very much. First of all, we need to address the the baby elephant in the room. (laughs) Congratulations on both of you. You are now parents. Yes. (laughs) It's been a big change having a little baby goose punk of our own. (laughs) Would you say, and I'm I'm quite happy with this question I've written down, would you say parenthood is scarier than any R.L. Stein adventure? <laughs> I mean, he's written some pretty horrifying things, so I think there's a, I think, I think they're neck and neck. And he's written some pretty horrifying parents, so I guess the answer is both, yes. <laughs> like, well, parenthood that's... is especially horrifying in the, in the Gooseverse. That's that's one thing I sort of wanted to touch on. You know, one of the main things that attracted me to your to your podcast is the the queer reading you do into to a lot of the stories. You know, growing up cishet, you just read these books and you just sort of take it on very face value. But on top of that, there's a lot of just themes you pick up on that I think just go over your head when you're the intended audience. And one of those is is parenting in, in the Goosebumps books. And so many instances where you just are baffled at the decision made by these by these parents. I think it's just a theme that, that I didn't I didn't pick up on as a kid at all. Yeah, I think it, uh, you know, it explains the part in the very last page of every book where you see R.L. Stein say he lives in New York with his wife and his son, his 12-year-old son, Matt, and then it's his 13-year-old son, Matt. And this is what he's going through as he's writing the books, too. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think that might be that might be a very, a very good explanation of it. You know, I don't know if the Stein family ever did experience egg monsters from Mars. Um, <laughs> Turning into plants. You know, it's very common for writers, I think. I think that, yeah. Because I, I, there was that big um, plant plague in New York in the 90s where right. yeah, yeah, all the dads turned out to have leaves in their head. But it was a great time to, to buy an apartment. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah, that, that, is, that is, I have heard that. So I guess I want to ask, how did this, uh, this podcast come to be? Well... It was 2020, as you may remember, and we were uh, quarantining, as we were doing, and we were talking about how we wanted some sort of outlet, some sort of connection to the outside world, and we also kind of wanted to do something creative together, uh, because we do a sort of a lot of parallel projects, but we've not really collaborated on anything like this before, and so... We also thought about, well, what if we reread these? Because it was one of the things where we both loved them. We both enjoyed them. 
for similar and different reasons. And so we were like, I wonder, wonder if anyone's getting rid of their Goosebumps books on eBay. And lo and behold, you know, we got a box of some, you know, grown up millennials uh, Goosebumps books from from their mom and. Which they may or may not know is no longer in their childhood bedroom. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's how it got started. Yeah, although there was, we, we weren't sure what we were going to do at first, although I think from the beginning it was going to be a, like, let's do a queer or feminist rereading of something. So there was a minute where it was going to be the Annie Wilkes Avengers, um, Annie Wilkes being the Kathy Bates' character from Misery. Yeah. So we were going to, like, reread bad women <laughs> of, uh, of horror film, but then Goosebumps and- was... And we still do that. You know? We still do that in our spare time. Are you surprised that, I guess, of the longevity of, you know, you've now well and truly done the original series, you're on to the spin-offs in the series 2000. Are you surprised that yourself for, like, you know, sticking with this for so far, you know, past couple of years? I mean, we're both very bad at stopping things once we start. <laughs> I also didn't realize he had written over 300 books when we started. And so, so I'm like, oh, we'll, we'll be doing this for a while. But yeah, I think... Um, you know, I when we initially started, I was very excited about the books I remembered, some of the classics, The Haunted Mask, Piano Lessons Can Be Murder. and But the like sort of back half of the original series was just such a mystery. And so I feel like there was just some renewed interest, you know, got fired up. I was like, oh, this is this was after my time. Like, what happened? And, and I, I was honestly dreading the series 2000 because by the time those came out, I was like far too old, you know, for Goosebumps. It was stuff my little brother read and um, I just assumed they weren't good. And then I read them, and it, that's been a really exciting thing because I don't know what's coming, and a lot of them are are really impressive and creepy. Uh, have you start? You've started the series two thousand. You're kind of hopping around a little. I mean, only in my personal life. I haven't actually got into the um, oh. doing them. I think I was the same. I I reread those original sixty two, you know, many many times, but I've probably only read those series two thousands once. So you know, listening to you you go through them has been um. Yeah, very, very interesting. I guess, do you, do you just see that he's writing for the same kids but older with the series 2000? Is it markedly different? I think he's not following the rules he set for himself anymore. You know, the rules of, like, this has to be child-friendly. He's like, and, and nobody dies. And only um, I write them. Yeah, he wanted them to be scarier. And some what that seems to have translated into is... It's much rougher on animals. Animals are not safe at all in series 2000. And, um... There's a lot of just creepy interactions between adults and children, um, far more than I remember in the original series. I'm straight up like children die in it, which yeah, is, also. A, is a bold move. <laughs> that child-adult interaction is is very strange in a lot of them, and I think disturbing in a way I don't I don't credit him with with trying to achieve. It's uh, very very interesting. So, in about 2043, when I get up to those <laughs> books. It'll be very, very interesting. I imagine you both come from academia. Is that is that a... Have I picked it up correctly? Yeah. So I imagine that's just used to working with deadlines. But I mean, been so consistent these past three years. I mean, what was it, like a few weeks off when you had a child, but you're back <laughs> into it. It's a, it's a very impressive work schedule. <laughs> Structure is nice. Yeah. yeah. And I think there are times when one of us is like flagging, like I started a new job and Andy is like, no, I need the routine because I'm, pre- I'm pregnant. I'm gonna, gonna, gonna get up at 3am and edit these. And so, so I think, I think we sort of keep each other uh, balanced. Yeah. And it's just been rewarding, um, especially, you know, with the kind of isolation of the pandemic. I'm sure you found this too. It's really a good community, a fandom community. 
Um, in fact, when you were talking about iconic um, goose verse queers, which we were going to talk about today, I wanted to give an honorable mention to the fandom community because it is full of a, a lot of um, queer people, too, I've noticed, which I think is related to this whole thing that you were flagging at the beginning of um, there are certain series, Animorphs is another one, that really spoke to kids who were queer but maybe didn't know themselves to be yet or whatever, but that's like something in this book resonates for me as a as someone who's different. Yeah, but I'm not, I wasn't able to parse it then, but as an adult, it's yeah. fun to look back and be like, oh, that's why I liked this one. Exactly. Yeah, that's, so, well, that was actually one of my questions is, is horror in general, but Goosebumps specifically does seem to have this really strong queer following. And I wonder why, why you think that is, like, specifically, what, what is it about horror or, you know, the, these Goosebumps books that is so appealing to, as you said, people who, who might be different? Why, why Goosebumps or, or, you know? I mean, horror in general, I think, speaks to the, a lot of the things that in normal, everyday, polite society we try not to talk about. And you can sort of... You can look at other sexualities, you can look at, you know, ableism, racism, all these things. And and it's, I think that the excuse of it being horror and it, or it being supernatural or bloody or whatever it is, it, it like, you're allowed to look at all of these things that say in a romantic comedy, you're not. Um, and, and I think that's something that, that drew me and a lot of other people to, to horror, uh, as, you know, from a young age, right? Because, um, like, obviously we were drawn to Goosebumps because maybe it spoke to something that, that we were already attracted to. Um, so I guess for me it felt, like, kind of freeing in that regard. And obviously, you know, queer people and other minoritized people meet varying degrees of fates in horror. But I think that lots of people, um, you know, one of, like a, a queer reading practice is often to sort of find yourself in those figures who are demonized because you villains, also, yeah. the villain, because you also feel demonized and monstrous. And even if you can't quite articulate it and, uh, leads to almost kind of a celebration of like, you know, the like queer, the Babadook, the Babadook, exactly. A queer icon. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think in addition to that, that it's horror because it deals with taboo, it's a space where queer representation can happen. Um, another factor is Goosebumps is not perfectly neatly thought through, I and don't a know lot what of times when, <laughs> when something is kind of a and a lot of times when something is a little bit of a mess, then I think it's almost like a you know Freudian dream analysis thing where it's like oh you didn't really think about this but your subconscious is coming through you know and I think that happens when someone just like writes down a story with what comes to mind without really thinking about it is the little places where things don't quite match up or where there are seams in our cultural norms come out and you're like, oh, that is weird, you know, and that's, that's an expression of queer desire there, or that's, you know, some like representation of um, something taboo that kind of slipped through. And also something interesting about R.L. Stein is he's doing for kids stories that he grew up with from like yeah. the Twilight Zone or Tales from the Crypt. And so he might not be explicitly doing those things, but a lot of the people writing those things were like Rod Serling explicitly wrote a, you know, sci-fi fantasy series because he wanted to talk about political things that you couldn't talk about if it was just drama. And so R.L. Stein is like repackaging that and passing it along in ways that, again, didn't pick up on as a kid, but now as an adult, I'm like, wow, this is really plugged into all of these different things. Do you think some of that is lost? Because I, I completely, you know, I think it's fair to say he he was definitely like, you know, a sci-fi nut and so much of that classic sci-fi is sort of 
it's not really about the distant world. It's about exploring these real life problems um, just in this very interesting way. And I think he'd, have, he'd be the first to admit he grew up on those. But do you think there's something lost there where there is... I feel like Rod Serling started off with a moral and I think Arl Stein starts off with a funny title a lot of the time. <laughs> yes. Do you think there is something lost there that he isn't trying to make it fit this moral or fit this, you know, um, lesson at all? I mean, that's where you and I are really different, right? Because for me, I grew up super religious and as hard as I've tried to shake it, I can't help but make everything have a moral and like always see things in that way. Whereas I feel like one thing, Alyssa, you like about Arl Stein is that is that he's not like that. Yeah, and and obviously sometimes it just comes out anyway because there are implicit values being held up. Um, but, yeah, I mean, sometimes the morals do come through. But you're right, there are a lot of times where I was like, that was a cool story, and I'm really happy for it not to be preaching at me. Mm-hmm. And you're like, but no, there is this lesson. And, and you know, it's, it's often there, what you're pointing out. Well, yeah, but I think something you point out that I really appreciate is that a lot of times, I mean, Arl Stein has said himself that the lesson is run, right? Like <laughs> the lesson is, as you always say, it's like very Kafka-esque that um, the universe doesn't make sense. It's not going to protect you. Oh, shit. <laughs> Let's all look at that and feel anxious, but have an outlet for our anxieties. Yeah, as you said, Kafkaesque. The chaos is the point, I guess. There is no point, and that's the point of it. I think that's a that's a very interesting way to look at it. Yeah, I, I mean, are you surprised at, at, at sort of the the reach you've had, the fandom? You know, the, the are you surprised at how many people are tuning into the podcast um, and you know interacting with it? Yeah. It's really, it's really nice. We thought at first it would just be our friends listening and then and like listening for one episode yeah. and then slowly backing away. Um, it's been really nice. And, and yeah, sometimes I'm like, but who, who am I? Like, why are you listening to me? But so it, it's been really great to sort of develop that community and see people like really engaging in deep ways with things that we say. And say smarter things back to us too and doing like really creative work. Um, there's a, people will send us their emails with different theories and stuff and I wish they would just post them online because they're so good, you know, and um, yeah, that's been cool. I was going to say something else. Oh yeah, well, and also I feel like there's been this resurgence of interesting goosebumps. Um, there's a series coming out. There was the Fear Street series this past summer. So I'm hoping that like, um, yeah, that all of the stuff that you and we are putting out will will um, be able to will be able to grow that community. Yeah, for a kid who who <laughs> had to make his identity in in primary school, the Goosebumps. You know, yeah. you're a kid. You want everything. You want to, you want to find something that makes you unique. Um, and for me, that was sort of you know everyone had read some Goosebumps books, but I'd read. I'd read all, <laughs> you know, that was my thing. Um, I just one other thing. I don't know how it is where you are, but. You know, when we were kids, there was a horror section in the bookstore, and then it went away, and the sort of conventional wisdom was, no one wants horror anymore, that's disappearing. And in the last, I don't know, maybe five years, we're seeing in, in bookstores horror sections reemerging, and I, I'm sure it's tied to, you know, this generation that grew up on goosebumps, that grew up on scary stories to tell in the dark, and so I think that's part of it, too, is that, like, horror is really having another renaissance, and, and I'm, like I said... Goosebumps must have something to do with it. Yeah, I guess there's that nostalgic factor, you know, everything. First was the everything in the 80s sort of got revived. Now we're getting up to everything in the 90s is getting revived. And I guess probably a more cynical way of looking at it is in the you know, past five years, maybe there's been a lot to be anxious about. So maybe there's there, there's some value in, in sort of, I guess, escaping that in the form of the horror section. That's a very good point, yeah. 
on the subject of fandom, I mean, like, I can't, I can't prove conclusively that I'm the reason your listens in Melbourne are, <laughs> I think, the number one. But I think, like, we can't prove it conclusively. Like, we, we kind of know. So that was that was rewarding to, to you know, to, to see that. Well, thank um, you. Yeah, that's our number one city uh, downloads. Thank you. Yeah, yeah you, you're right. It's, it don't, like, don't worry about it. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> But let's let's get on to sort of what why I originally wanted to to have you on. As I said, one of the most interesting things for me is when you will talk about this character that maybe I read a, as a kid a lot, and you'll you'll give him this this queer interpretation. I found that really interesting. So I wanted to have you on to talk about your top five queer icons from the Goosebumps series. Well, in preparing for this episode, we cheated a little bit. We instead came up with five categories, which include multiple people. Um, but, okay, but we will okay. try not to overdo it. But maybe between us, no, there's no, between us, there's yeah. yeah, yeah. So the first category for me was all of the witchy queer ladies who have been showing up, and you know we get the first ones in in Monster Blood, Sarah Beth and Aunt Catherine, who are in this very weird codependent relationship. We get Clarissa, the crystal woman, who just wanders around, you know, telling fortunes and be careful what you wish for. Vanessa of Chicken Chicken, who, you know, like writes, a, you know, is home with her typewriter and her, her recipe books and wants children to be polite. Um, and then there's Iris in Revenge R.S. who has this, you know, revenge business out of her home. And then there, I also had a brief shout out to Aunt Louise from It Came Beneath This From Beneath the Sink. Um, she wears long floral dresses, blows big bubbles with gum, and knows about things like astrology and tarot. <laughs> I, since it's a queerness episode, I just have to point out your Freudian slip where you almost called that book It Came Beneath the Sink. <laughs> Which sounds like kind of a weird plumbing porn. <laughs> I do, I do, I love that category. I love that category. But like, especially that Sarah Beth and, um, and Catherine one, like they were, they were just living together. Like I, I yeah, I, I didn't question it. You look back and it's like, there's an obvious reading there that I completely missed. Well, so yeah. thank you. That's your first, <laughs> sorry, continue. I was just going to say, same, like I wouldn't have, like, I didn't pick up on that explicitly as a kid, but it's like, oh, that's interesting. I'll, I'll file that away. Just why? It sounds really great. I, I don't know why. Yeah, and, and when Aunt Catherine's described, she's described as, like, being really, like, big and, like, kind of strong and butch and, um, you know, there's just certain things about where I feel like even if she's not explicitly a queer character as a kid, you know, I would think, like, oh, I'd like to be, like, big and not have to, like, think about my hair and, like, live with a lady who's also a cat, <laughs> And make meat all the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're the, we're the version of queers that end up vegan, but, you know... <laughs> We do make pies. We do make pies. There you go. And so the second category we had was all the trans kids. Um, so that's one thing that happens a ton in Goosebumps, also in Animorphs. Um, when you have a narrative of someone getting to transform into a different body, a lot of times it speaks to a young trans kid who might not even think of themselves as trans yet. Um, and I'm trans and non-binary, so um, this one stuck out to me. The, the one everyone likes to mention is, of course, Carly Beth from The Haunted Mask. Um, and she gets put on this mask and she becomes this masculine person and also gets to unleash sort of all the sides of herself she normally keeps buttoned up. And something I think is kind of cool about that that maybe speaks to your anxiety, your, what we were talking about earlier about like why goosebumps and horror is 
her being like timid Carly Beth is an expression is, is 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 tied up in her anxiety knowing she can't be who she really is right um and then when she gets to put on this Halloween costume she can be and so you can see like how that experience would resonate for someone where um and why it would draw why it would draw a young queer kid to horror this feeling of like um, I have all this anxiety and I need to find an outlet for it a safe outlet for it um some other examples would be um Andy <laughs> from Monster Blood, who does not want to be called Andrea. She wants to be Andy. Um, and then, uh, and she's not like traditionally feminine or whatever. Um, and then Larry and Lily from My Hairiest Adventure are an example of a kind of kid we get a lot. There's a lot of animal transformations, but My Hairiest Adventure I kind of read as being about um, the horror of going through the wrong puberty for you as a trans kid. And also, um, in Attack of the Graveyard Ghouls, it yeah. ends with this child being restored to a body and having this moment of, like, I twirled my skirt, I had pretty nail polish, and then realizing, oh, I'm in a girl's body, whereas this character had been gendered male the whole time. Yeah. 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 And in My Hairiest Adventure, there's this great moment where there's kind of this moment of recognition where um, the kids are making fun of Larry, the boy who's now growing hair everywhere. He turns out he's a dog, but anyway... Um, they're calling him Harry Larry and everyone's laughing except his friend Lily who's going through the same problem and they kind of she, he wonders oh does she have the same secret I do you know um, yeah yeah I see I definitely see that yeah I don't know I think it's complicated both with the witches category and with these categories because it's like like with Car- Carly Beth and the Haunted Mask it's uh, oh when she's experiencing her trans joy it's also when she's marauding and a demon right but that's that's <laughs> <laughs> that's that catch 22 of looking back at queer representation in the 90s where it's like well where you're probably going to find it is in the villain character so then how do we kind of reclaim that villain character as um and reread the story to make that character not just a villain but someone we can take joy in like Ursula the Sea Witch from The Little Mermaid is like the classic example of that. Because right? she was animated based on Divine. Divine, Divine yeah. Um, well, take it in a different direction. The <laughs> next category is Butch Principles. Yeah, I came up with this one. <laughs> these are... Okay, okay. These are... Continue. So whereas the, the, the witchy queers, you know, they want to have their home business, make their craft. They want to look awesome. Look awesome. Like, very fashion forward. These are the people who just like they get shit done you know they will show up on time you know they have a schedule made they're the lanyard lesbians yes and they're if, running the world if you don't know that instagram account please check it out uh there's principal McNabb from don't go to sleep who is described described as stern big steely gray hair and an appreciation for sci-fi <laughs> well of course uh there's miss crawford from calling all creeps who wears all black um and is very is old very lively and athletic and no nonsense and then there's Mrs. Borden from The Haunted School. I mean, the name alone, I think, is a shout out to a queer icon. Lizzie Borden, yeah. Mm-hmm. Was Lizzie Borden queer? In a lot of representations, they make her queer. I think she's just like a spinster, right? Which is the 19th century fashion. <laughs> yeah. She never married. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, butch principles. I, again, I wouldn't have picked it up. I have a headcanon where they all get up at 4 a.m. to go have a... They, they go rowing together. Because on, one of on, them is on a rowing team, and so they must all be on the rowing team together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's wonderful. That is wonderful. Thank you. Um, so category four was queer and stuck in heterosuburbia. <laughs> A lot of characters in the Gooseverse are. <laughs> and a lot of readers lot of were are, as yeah. well. Yeah. Yep. So uh, we had a few people for this. Um, Talia in The Haunted School. 
So she was the one who's disguising herself in makeup. She's actually stuck in the black and white world, but she puts on all this bright stuff and tries to blend in. And she has these quotes that just really sounded like almost like the Wizard of Oz version of, of queer queerness to me, where she says, like, um, for her makeup, she says, kids made fun of me, but that wasn't the worst part. I wanted to stay in the world of color and brightness, but I was a fake. Mm. I didn't belong there. Um and she decides to uh, ultimately go back to the gray world where she feels she does belong. She says, I can't pretend anymore. I want to stay here and be myself. And that felt to me almost like a, I'm leaving my hometown and moving to the big city where I can do who I want to do. <laughs> I mean, is there, is there something to be said there that that is, that is the gray world? That's the weird reversal, right? Because normally you'd make that be the mm. rainbow world. Um, but... I don't know. Yeah, like I said, it's like a flipped Wizard of Oz. What do you think? I mean, I again, I think there's definitely something to be said there about her needing to escape into, as you said, a world where she is um, accepted. But yeah, I, I wouldn't have associated. I mean, I, w- I would have said the the grey hetero suburbia is sort of pressing one and then you escape into, as you said, Wizard of Oz. I think if I was trying to pass my English class with an essay on this, I would say, oh, well, you know, the one world is colourful because it's known, but the grey world is unknown. It's a hazy future. She has to go strike out and discover. Yeah, but then they also this speak is the one who's an active English other. <laughs> Right, that one, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like they do. <laughs> Thank you. A couple other quick examples of this would be... Um, all of the main characters in Werewolf Skin, mm-hmm. um, Uncle Colin, Aunt Marta, Alex, they all have to kind of hide out and pretend to be um, not werewolves. Um, and there's a point actually where Alex is asked uh, about cute girls in the neighborhood and he goes, girls, aren't there any boys in the neighborhood? You know, should, should have realized then. <laughs> right. Um, and then there's uh, Dr. Brewer, of course, of Stay Out of the Basement, who's boss is naked in his closet with... Yeah, he's tied up in the closet. Yeah. Yep. I saw that as like, in destroying this clone of himself, was he destroying his true self, you know? Was he actively trying to suppress this side of him? Because Dr. Brewer, you know, he's got this wife and these kids, he's got this suburban life, and there's this other side that, as a plant, is maybe more natural because, you know, it's it's a plant, and he had to destroy that. So I didn't know if that was, you know, him successfully suppressing and destroying his his true queer self well i would say that one you have your classic you know it's all okay or is it ending where there's a little flower who's tugging on margaret's jeans at the end like oh hi i'm your real father so like you know you can try to destroy it but there it is yeah and it's coded feminine of course being like plants and gardening type of yeah that's uh, that's a story yeah. yeah Um, the other example we had for this one, we had quite a few, we could go on, but this is the last one we wrote down, was from Revenge of the Lawn Gnomes. Uh, Joe and Moose get caught by Joe's dad uh, wrestling in the garage. And I think that's that's a kind of relationship we see with a lot of boys in in media in general, where it's like the only way they can express passionate feelings for themselves or with each other um, mm. yeah, is like anger, wrestling. It's the same with um, Evan Ross and Conan yes, Barber. Yes, this weird... <laughs> I, I hate this guy, but I'm secretly, I, I want him to notice me. Like, you know, this very strange sort of dichotomy of of being persecuted, but also wanting this approval from this very yeah. masculine character. Very interesting. Exactly. And then our last one? Last one was the 
denizens of the Midnight Mansion from Bad Hair Day, where the kids wander into this place they didn't know was there, and it there there's what appears to be a like BDSM burlesque show going on, where this magician is pulling needles out of his mouth. Everyone's like, in black. Yeah, and <laughs> um and and Ginny says, "Where did all these weird people come from?" Yeah. And, you know, since it's Pride Month and all, we want to honor the fact that kink belongs in pride. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, Midnight yeah. Mansion. It doesn't get any kinkier than a mazo. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was our top five. Do you, do you want to throw any in? Oh, absolutely. No, no. Look, again, like, you, you, you give these examples and you sort of, you know open up my eyes in that case but you've you've really gone above and beyond what i expected (laughs) as as, when you put it like this there's so many potential queer readings in in this series so thank you so much for uh for sharing that with me that was really really well done again above and beyond i just wanted five you've given me five whole categories (laughs) um so thank you very much uh i think you have proven that intentionally or otherwise uh mr stein is, is, a, is a queer hero and needs to be uh, appreciated as such. That's agreed, true. agreed. I've got a very ominous countdown timer at the top of my screen. I noticed that, yeah. how much how much time there is left. On the off chance someone listens to my podcast <laughs> and doesn't listen to yours, uh, where's the best place to find you, contact you, get in touch with you, share their theories and queries with you? Yeah, queries with two E's, of course. Um, of course. Yes. Uh, so we are on Twitter and Instagram at Say Pod and Die. We also have a Gmail account, uh, SayPodandDie at gmail.com. And a website. SayPodandDie.com. Yeah. So any of those routes, although I think we most often are on Twitter or Instagram. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Alyssa, Andy, really, really do appreciate you taking the time out of your afternoon soothing a goose baby to sleep so we can have this conversation uh is there anything you'd like to finish up with uh before uh we call it a morning for me and an afternoon for you uh i just say thank you very much for having us uh and we'll be sure to you know let us know when the merch the pride merch goes up and we'll share that on our our socials too That was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. There's much more I would like to talk to them about just in regards to their, you know, their memories of Goosebumps growing up and stuff like that. We just didn't have the time. But I still think that, that was a great chat. I really enjoyed that. Well, I've got your attention on this, the queerest of all months, June. On my online store right now, latterichard.store, L-A-T-T-E-R-A-T-U-R-E, dot store there are a series of pride slash goosebumps inspired designs for your t-shirts and your mugs and your cushions and 100 percent of proceeds 100 percent of all those proceeds will go to transcend australia which is an organization that advocates for a world in which trans children are treated like children and not talking points which i think is just a lovely idea so go on Grab yourself a sassy mug with a sassy design that tells the world, hey, yes, I do like egg monsters and vampire breaths, but I also like respecting people. And on that bombshell, I will leave you until next episode. But in the meantime, thank you for listening. And please, stay spooky.